morning, everybody. Um, on behalf of Claire and I, just a massive thank you. Um, we really are excited about the sabbatical, um, not because we ca- can't wait to get away from you, um, but we just we are trusting God for an incredible, just restful time. Um, some of my friends that have led church or leading church have asked me, what do you, what do you want to achieve in the next three months? I said, I want to fall in love three times. <laughs> I want to fall in love freshly with my wife. Um, Claire's been an incredible um, partner in ministry, and much of our life is around church and, and ministry, and it's in, in the last 15 years or so, I don't think we've had a, a prolonged season where it's just the two of us focusing on our own marriage and our own uh, relationships, so I'm keen to do that. I'm keen to fall in love freshly, personally, with Jesus. Um, I'm sure you understand that as someone that is a minister, it's so easy to blur the lines between reading your Bible for, for Jesus and leading, reading your Bible because it's your job to read your Bible. Um, and so to have a season where I'm reading the Bible and some of the devotional books that I've kind of ordered and ready to read, where it's just honor in Jesus and me falling in love with my Savior again is something I'm really looking forward to. And the third thing I'm trusting that God is going to do for me is that I would fall in love with His beautiful bride, the church again, freshly. Not that I'm out of love, but I would love a fresh love for the church and for what God is um, calling us to and who He's called us to as a, as a church. We we dearly, dearly love everyday people, and we are so proud of what God has done and who God has added to us as a church. Um, but I, I would love to come back with a stronger vision, with a stronger heart and desire and love for, for the church. So you could pray for us. Those are the three things, my wife, my Jesus, and, my, and our church, that we would fall in love hard again and freshly with those things. And can I just say on behalf of Claire and I, thank you to the church. Your generosity towards us is incredible. I'll tell you a bit of what we're doing. So we're going to, to the West Coast, to, the, to Britannia Bay, St. Helena Bay, that kind of area for nine days. The church has gifted us a cottage there for 10 days to hide away. Um, there's nothing to do there, literally. You can only eat crayfish and go for beach walks. And that's all we're going to be doing for 10 days. And so we're looking forward to that. Um, and then we come back home. We collect Chloe from Cape Town, our daughter that's studying there. We'll have Christmas with our family. And then we're going to hide away at all coastal village for a whole month in a cottage and fish and just hang around there. And then in February, we, I am building a kitchen for my wife. Um, so that's Claire's gift. Um, so that's our plans, and we, we're really looking forward to it. And to Sia and to Rich and the elders that are going to man the fort while we're away, we, we're excited. Every guy that I've spoken to said that when they came back from sabbatical, their churches grew and matured and did a lot better. So maybe I should do it more often, but cool. Would you turn in your Bibles to Luke 8, if you don't mind? I'm going to have it on the board in case you want to read with me. Um, This morning is a beautiful, beautiful passage. Um, I'm not sure if you all know, um, some some might know that Claire and I, um, I want to just say a big thank you to Sia. Sia has had to change sermons, preach sermons, prep quickly, jump in on behalf of us um, in the past week or two. Um, Two weeks ago, we discovered that our direct family um, were positive, p- positive, <laughs> COVID positive. So that the brains have had two weeks of um, isolation and, and working through COVID. God has been incredibly gracious. We had some rough days, but um, by grace, He's got us through that. Um, but it has meant that people have jumped in. And so Sia preached for me last week. Um, and so I get, I'm going back to the preach of the sermon um, before chapter 9. So if you go there... We're going to read from verse 40 to verse 56. I mean, you're going to see why this is this beautiful. And one of the beautiful things about this morning, 
I want you to look at the contrast in this passage because the, the author here, Luke, is writing um, and he contrasts two individuals, two different faiths, two different responses, two different ways of approaching Jesus, and even Jesus approaching two individuals differently. And we're going to see this beautiful contrast in this passage. This is obviously one of those, the, those beautiful, beautiful gospel, gospel passages. Verse 14. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, and they were all waiting on him, or waiting for him. And there came a man called Jairus, Jairus, sorry, who has been a ruler in the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had a, an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And Jesus went, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all the living living on physicians, in other words, she spent all her money on doctors trying to heal her, she could not be healed by anyone. Verse 44, she came up behind him and touched his fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased, and Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, come on Jesus, the crowd around you are pressing in on you, what do you mean? But Jesus said, someone touched me. For I perceived that power had come out from me. Verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Verse 49. While he was still speaking, some of the rulers of the house came and said to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not be troubled. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter the house except Peter and John and James, and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. And he said, Do not weep. For she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed someone, sorry, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. It's a sign, obviously, that she's obviously well and alive, that she's able to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one of what happened. This is God's beautiful, beautiful word. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Um, thank you for Luke. Thank you for your word that, that strengthens us, that encourages us, that points us towards you, Jesus, ultimately. Um, and I pray that you would, your Holy Spirit would use this word this morning to, to reach us and to change us and to strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, we realize, we read this story, and immediately we're confronted with two radically different, two very, very different individuals. If you read the first few, now Jesus returned to the home, and there was Jairus, sorry, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and then it speaks of a woman who had 12 years of, of blood, or blood dispersing issue. What happens in this, in this last little piece in, in chapter 8, now chapter 8 is quite interesting because we've We've had many, many miracles, Jesus calming the storm, Jesus delivering the demonic person, and it ends with these two miracles. 
what we see here is these two individuals. We have this woman who is, um, have an, has an issue with blood for 12 years. It means that she's in society been isolated. It means that there's a, there's a, she's young, that she wouldn't have children, that she would be on her own. And, that, and in those days, because of the Jewish law and custom, she would be rejected and almost scorned by society. No one wanted to go near her. She had no identity. She, she was scorned. And on the other hand, you had Jairus, the, the synagogue leader. Now, in those days, the synagogue leader was in charge of what happened at the synagogue or the temple on a Sunday. So in our modern-day times, he would be the one in charge of what texts are preached when and who preaches in the synagogue. He was in charge of, of ministry. In other words, in our day and time, most probably an elder of, of, in good standing in the local church, responsible for that. Very highly esteemed was probably the two opposite spectrums of society. And in one story and in one passage, we have Jesus literally dealing or confronting or coming face to face with with these two radical juxtaposed personalities or people. One being a, a male in those days with all the status and all the authority and all the respect. And on the other side, a female who in those days did not have the respect of a male, etc., but also not just any female, but a woman who society would isolate and discard because of the issue of blood and because of her illness that she was facing. Can you see the radical differences that Jesus is facing here? And what we're going to see is that yet, despite these two radical different people that we see in the story, Jesus shows the same amount of grace and incredible love towards both of them. And we're going to see just how he does that. They might be very different, they are very, very, very uncommon in those days. And, but the one thing they do share in common is their desperate need for Jesus to intervene in their lives. They are both desperate for Jesus. Can you see what happens in the story in the beginning of the passage? <coughs> Excuse my cough. Just a dry throat. Um, in the beginning of the passage, it says, He came to Jesus, falling at his knees. Now imagine a man of status, of honor, in the, and, and I, have, I have authority in the society, in the city. He is so desperate that he falls on the knees, on his knees before Jesus. And then we have this woman who is so desperate that normally would stay away from crowds, would stay away from Jesus, would not be near anybody else, not in isolation, would push in and would find a way to get just to touch Jesus. Amazing story of the, the desperation of their need. And how, no matter how, whether you're wealthy, whether you are full of, whether you are in high standing in society, the one thing that COVID has done, it has leveled the playing field, hasn't it? Whether you are wealthy or whether you are poor, whether you are, are, are healthy or whether you are ill, whether you're young or whether you're old, you were not exempt from COVID. It was going to catch up to you. It, none of us could walk around. We all wear masks. None of us are, are walking around going, I'm immune to this. It's never going to happen to me. Um, certainly, we all are aware. And so, in, 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 in a sense, we look at the scripture, what's very, very encouraging to us is that no matter where we are in life, there's still a desperation for Jesus. The synagogue leader, something has happened in his life where he is desperate for Jesus. He's going, I need you, Jesus. For this woman, it was an issue of blood. And then we turn to this encounter. So he's on his way in the crowd. Imagine this. He's on his way to go to, to Jairus, the, the synagogue leader's home, to go pray for his daughter that is ill. And on his way in the crowd, he is interjected or he's um, interrupted by a woman or he realizes that someone grabs hold of his cloak. 
And he calls this woman daughter, and we're going to pause and we're going to look at that in a few seconds. Let me just go to that passage again and just read it for us. And as Jesus went, the, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. This amazing thing that happens here is her, her discharge of blood, out of her is flowing blood, and it is, it is an illness that is, that is, like I said, something that society frowns upon. And as she touches Jesus' cloak, what flows out of him is the power to heal. Not, not illness, but healing flows from him. So in her immediate touch of Jesus, instead of the flow of illness comes the flow of power and comes the flow of, of healing. And the, the flow changes or the direction changes. And then Jesus said, who is this that touched me? Who is this who touched me? What is Jesus doing? What could Jesus have done? Jesus could have, in the story, Jesus could have known that he healed or someone got healed and continued walking without calling the person out, just pretending that it just happened or ignoring the fact that it happened and carried on. He was on his way to go pray for someone else. But Jesus pauses and calls out and says, who is this? Now, we, because it's Jesus, we believe that he knew what was the issue. He knew what was going on. He knew that this was a young woman who was rejected and isolated by society with no dignity, with years of pain being rejected. He knew this was not just a physical illness, but there was a social illness happening here. There was a social rejection happening because of her illness. And so by Jesus calling her out, what is he doing to this, to this woman? He's saying to her, you're no longer rejected in isolation. You, you're no longer a nameless face out that no one wants to know. You no longer have no dignity or we're rejecting you. He's calling her out saying, who are you? Who did this? He wants the crowd. He wants the crowd to see who she is. He wants the crowd to acknowledge this woman that she's in our midst. She's a person. She's got dignity. He restores dignity to this young woman. Jesus is incredible with people. He's incredible with noticing people that you and I would just walk past or look past or think, hey, I'm not sure what, whether they're worth our time or our energy. Jesus looks and he sees this and he pauses and deliberately, she had no intention of encountering Jesus. <laughs> she just wanted to get a healing by any chance and move on. She did not want to be exposed. She did not want to be known as the woman that got healed. She just wanted to grab a healing and walk away. She didn't even want an encounter with Jesus. And I wonder how many of us, if we're honest sometimes, go to Christ like she did, desperate for Him to do something for us, but not that desperate for Him as a person. I wonder how many of us in life have gone to Jesus because of what He could give us instead of who we would be, who our relationship, our connection with Him. And Jesus, true to form, doesn't settle for just, I'm the healer. He wants to restore dignity and relationship to this beautiful woman. So He calls her out, not to embarrass her, not to, to show her up, but to show the crowd, this is this young woman. She's been healed. She has dignity amongst us. And like I said, it seems to us, if we look at the story, that this woman wanted nothing to do with the actual encounter of Jesus other than just Jesus' healing. All she wanted was Jesus to heal her. 
but Jesus won't let us slip away quietly. <coughs> Excuse me. And so finally, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, she comes trembling to Jesus. When last have you entered Jesus' presence trembling? When last have you gone into your prayer time or your Bible with a bit of a tremble going, wow, you are incredible? Like sometimes when we sing worship, there are moments where I'm going, that line in that worship song just caused me to tremble a little bit. Like, is that really how big God is? Is that really how insane His grace is towards me? Um, that last song, forgive me, but it's one of my favorite worship songs over the last five years. I've played it often because it's so real. It calls us and saying, this is who I am. My heart wanders from you, God, yet you don't wander from me. Yet you stay faithful to me, Jesus. She enters trembling. Imagine how her heart must have felt. And then Jesus does the most incredible thing. Listen to his words here. Verse 48. And then he said to her, he could have said anything to her. He could have called her anything or anyone, but he calls her daughter. Daughter. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Daughter. Why would Jesus pick out of all the, the is it synonyms, not synonyms, personal pronouns? or Why would Jesus choose the word daughter? But he deliberately chooses to call her daughter. What does daughter say? Hey, can you just, I know for me, honor. If you say daughter, I think Chloe. And when I think Chloe, there's certain emotions and feelings that come to me that I don't even have to try and look for. They're just there. Um, the, 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 the idea, you, you, we've all seen these memes of a father and a daughter when the, when the boyfriend comes to the door and the dad's got a shotgun and overprotection, etc., etc. I saw this meme this week of a, a, girl say, a young girl saying to her dad, Dad, I want a boyfriend. Or no, sorry, Dad, I want a dinosaur. And the dad says, no, don't be, don't be ridiculous, you can't have a dinosaur. She says, okay, that's fine, Dad, I'll have, a, I'll have a boyfriend then. And the next thing you see the dad on the back of his 4x4 with a dinosaur bringing it to his daughter. We all, we've all seen those memes of dads. And what Jesus is speaking to, to her here is, is dignity, but he's taking responsibility for her. He's saying, you are my daughter. You, uh, you do, you, he's given her a status of, of daughter, which means in our, in our context, my daughter, I protect Chloe with everything I have. She's mine. She's my little girl. And until the day I give her away, or her husband thinks I'm going to do that, but until the day that I'm supposed to give Chloe away, she is my responsibility. and I'm going to do everything I can to protect her. And Jesus is calling her and saying, ah, now you have me. You're not on your own. You have me. I'm going to protect you. you. You are safe here. You are safe with me. You are safe under your Savior's hands. Another thing that a daughter, one of my friends um, teased me the other day. I think it was Richard, actually, that said to Chloe, if you, if you asked your dad for the moon, he would provide you the moon. He would find a way to give you the moon. There's something in a dad's heart that will, whatever the daughter needs, the father wants to provide for, isn't it? And, and Jesus is saying to her, not only am I going to, are you safe here? He's saying, anything you need is yours. I'm, you, you have access to me. She needed healing on this day. Anything from now on, daughter, you have what, what you need. But I think the most beautiful thing for me is that the word daughter, for me, is the sense of 
benevolent responsibility that Jesus shows towards her. He's saying, no, you're, not, you're no longer on your own, doing your own thing. You now belong. You're in a family. And I'm going to take responsibility for you. You're not on your own. You're not doing your own thing. I'm now going to take responsibility for you. You belong. You, you're not isolated. You're not on your own. No, no, no. You, you're a daughter. You're in a household. Jesus, uh, Richard spoke earlier about family and the belonging that, that has to happen in church and, and why church is important. And Jesus takes, within one word, one sentence, takes a woman that is rejected, a moment ago was ill, was in isolation, was embarrassed, was exploited and exposed, and with one word, daughter, changes everything. Changes everything in this woman's life. I, can't, I couldn't preach and prepare without noticing and being aware that as a country we, we're in the middle of a 16-day, what do they call it, um, activism against gender-based violence. And you can't switch on any news broadcast without hearing stories of women and young girls and children being abused, raped, murdered. Our society is sick. Men are sick, unfortunately, in our society. We're not living in a great society at the moment. As men, there's a massive challenge on our hands to, to under God's leadership, understand what it's like and what God calls us to as men to treat every woman amongst us as our daughters. What would South Africa look like if every man, every man, treated every other woman, every woman as their daughter? Would treat them with that dignity, with that respect, with that responsibility, with that protection, with that provision? Imagine what our country would look like if we treated our women as our daughters or our mothers or our sisters. But sadly, that's not the case in our country. Sadly, we've got a long way to go. I know how it has helped me as a guy to approach other women in our church, younger, older women, when I think of them as my sisters or if I think of them as my daughter. When I think of younger girls as my daughters, the way I think and act around them is different. <laughs> you understand that? You can understand why. When I, when I treat someone that's my age or my kind of age as my sister, the way I treat them is different. There's, there's respect. There's a, there's a dignity to that. With the, for the ladies in our church that are, that are a few years older than honor, to treat them as my mothers, how would I treat my mother? Can you see how that's helpful for us as guys? Can you see how what Jesus does is not just helpful for this woman? He's also speaking to men. He's saying, hey, treat her as your daughter. Treat her with that dignity. Treat her with that level of respect and love towards. I honestly, with everything in my heart, believe we would be a better place if men treated women as their daughters or sisters. Not just another person or another body or another something we could use. And then in verse 49, this joyous, beautiful scene Dignity restored, healing flows, celebrating Jesus has healed me 12 years of, 
of all that trauma is behind me, everything comes to a screeching halt, and the writer and the author doesn't hide it here, and they literally interject. They're saying, don't, I'm just going to um, adver- what's it, ad-lib. How does it go? It says, while he was speaking, someone in the, in the rulers came to him saying, your daughter is dead, do not trouble the master anymore. While they're still speaking, while Jesus is still using this moment, it seems like Jesus' kindness to this one woman in restoring her, this daughter, has led to the death of someone else's. Jesus is now too late for Jairus' daughter. So one daughter gets healed, the other daughter dies in this, in this passage. What was Jesus doing? Did he, was he showing favoritism? Have you ever had Jesus answering prayers for your friends, left, right, and center, and you've got a list that you're trusting Jesus for, and not one gets answered. Ever, ever felt like that? Anybody ever felt like that? You get, you, in COVID, you're still allowed to raise your hand as a sign of, uh, it's, I'm guilty. It's still safe to do a hand rise. We have all been there, haven't we? Jesus, how is this working? Is there a certain faith that you are, are favorite? Is Jesus now saying, he's, he's got favorites now? Is, he, is Jesus saying, this is more important? No, he's not. But he does show kindness, and we're going to see how he shows the different kindness to this. The two very different faiths that we see in this passage. You have the faith of the woman, and Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Daughter, you pushed in, you embarrassed, you, you broke your isolation, you, you took a risk to push in, to touch, and it has healed you. Your pushing in has healed you. Now, I don't know what kind of, we're not in that, there's some interesting um, court cases with, with Major One and Prophet Bashira and some churches that are going on in our country at the moment. I'm not sure for this woman who taught her or who told her that if you touch Jesus' garment, that's going to heal. We have no idea what led her to think that that, that faith is going to heal you or that that is a legit way to get Jesus to heal you. Normally what would happen is people would bring sick people to Jesus' presence, explain their case, he's blind, he's lame, he's demon-possessed, Jesus, can you do something? And Jesus would do something. Nowhere else in the Bible are you going to read of someone that kind of leopard calls towards Jesus, grabs hold of his garment, and then gets healed. It's, It's a bit of a strange case, isn't it? I read that and I went, I'm guilty of that a bit. I'm guilty of strange faith in in knocking strange faith, me. I'm, I'm like, I love theology. I love the Bible. I love doctrine, etc. I love clean cut. This is the way it should happen. Me, that's honor. And I, I struggle with strange faith. I, I kind of frown or pull my nose up at people that, that trust Jesus in strange ways. And I'm going, no, no, that's just weird. Just go to Jesus, ask him. And if he doesn't do it, move on, etc. And then you hear people saying, no, we've done this and we're trusting God for this. And I, when I read this, I went, Jesus, if I was in this context, I would imagine that you would, you would go for Jairus' daughter because it just makes more sense. He's in charge. He's part of the church. He comes to you. He falls at your feet. He's not hiding from you. He falls at your feet. He begs for you. Surely, Jesus, that is the, the modus operandum. That's how you get Jesus to heal you or get to respond to you. Yet we see Jesus heals a woman, a woman that ambushes him in some way. Two different faiths, 
And then what happens at the end of this passage? We see that the family and Jairus and those around simply run out of faith. Say it's too late. She's dead. Don't bother anymore, Jesus. Don't bother anymore, Jesus. Have you ever, have you ever got so tired of the same prayer where you go, Jesus, actually don't bother about that anymore. Like, I'm over it. You can get over it. Don't stress anymore. Don't, don't bother pitching up anymore. Have you ever been there? I've been there. Where you prayed and prayed, and then you go, actually, Jesus, don't bother anymore. It's okay. <laughs> I get, I, I, it's like, you know, when like, you, you're trying to get the right answer, you don't get the right answer, and eventually you go, okay, don't, I'm not going to get an answer from you. We've all know and can identify with Jairus' family here, can't we? Hey, Jesus, don't bother. Like, don't bother coming anymore. Don't, don't ignore all the hundred prayers I've prayed. Just scrap them, Jesus. Let's move on to the next thing. We're not going to go there. And I think that does happen sometimes in our lives where, where we don't always get, and Jesus doesn't always give us the things we think we desire or need for our, for our godliness and for our lives. So we see this radical faith that's prepared to do in, in many of our, <coughs> sorry, this radical faith that many for us would go, this is just weird. Who grabs garments and expect healing? And then we see what we would say legitimate, clear faith almost being ignored and eventually running out and going, actually, she's dead, forget about it, it's not going to happen. And what we see, what does Jesus do? He goes to the home, okay, and he chases everybody else out. Some, some commentators will say because of the lack of faith. <laughs> he only wanted those who believed in the room. <laughs> so he says, Mom and Dad and my three disciples come with me. The rest of you have already declared her dead. She says, nothing's going to happen. Calls them into the room, raises her from the dead, wakes her up from her sleep. Immediately she's hungry. They give her something to, fe- to eat, and he restores her. What a beautiful, beautiful passage of Jesus reaching to and answering two very, very different people, two very desperate people, people with, with very different faith levels and styles. I think we, we, there's so many lessons for us in this to learn about faith and how, and how to trust Jesus. There's so many lessons to us to learn that no matter who we are, every single one of our prayers gets heard by Jesus. There's so many lessons that Jesus teaches us here around how to treat women with dignity and and respect. That powerful word, daughter, daughter over her life and restores to this woman her, not just her her illness, but her dignity and her person into, into a family. And then we look at even when our faith runs out, when we feel we don't have faith and it's too late, how Jesus still maintains and still comes through and, and heals Jairus' daughter. Two daughters in the story. Two complete different people in the story. One who grew up in a house full of dignity and respect and honor. One with no family growing up on the street, rejected, isolated, embarrassed about her illness. Both in need of desperate, desperate healing and Jesus to intervene. 
And Jesus reaches both of them, reaches both of these daughters in this passage. The one had crazy faith, if you're going to call it that. Who does that? The other one's father had stout faith, like this is the way we do it. You fall at the the Lord's feet and you beg Him for mercy and He answers your prayers. And He answers both prayers. The stout, this is the way you do it, patterned, religious, how we pray and how we ask. And even the crazy faith, if I can call it that, please, I don't mean it ugly, but this, who does that? Who grabs the, 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 the fringe of a garment and get healing? I would love to see more miracles in my lifetime. When I read this and I, I finished this preach, the one thought that had left in Arno's heart was, which, one, which faith is yours, Arno? <laughs> when last have you had some crazy faith? When lost, have you really trusted Jesus to do something mad, like crazy, that you, that you almost would, would shock you if he did it? Or when lost, did you radically do something so silly that if, it, if Jesus didn't come through, you weren't going to do it? Or have you become honor a bit stiff with your faith? <laughs> Let's get all the formulas right. Let's get all the, the wording right. Let's get all the structure right in our prayer. And if I get all the structure and the wording and all my theology right, then God's going to answer me. What we learn in this passage is that God answers not because we get our formulas right or because we get our religion right or our theology right. God answers because He's gracious and loving and caring. That's why He answers prayers. That's why He answered both His daughter's needs. Not because the father was holy and religious. He didn't answer the, the, the woman with the issue of blood because she had radical crazy faith and that's the way to get Jesus to do it. No, it stems out of His character and His nature. Because of who he was is why he answers our prayers. And I want to encourage all of us, let's have some crazy faith. Let's, let's trust Jesus. Let's, let's not fall for the, the, the ultra-conservative, patterned, theological, hectically formulated, this is the way I pray, unless, if I don't pray like this, God's not going to answer me. Let's have some raw prayers. Let's have some moments where, where, where we just trust God and do for crazy things. We're going to break bread together if, you, if you're going to take your, if you don't mind taking your cup and your...